listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look there as well as the last chapter in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 16. And uh, so we'll be looking at that in just uh, those verses, some verses there in just a moment. Now, this morning, as we um, consider some things here, I want to ask you a number of questions. When it comes to our money, when it comes to our plans for the future, or when it comes to our relationships with others, what is the source of that in your life? What is the source for making decisions in regards to these three areas? What is setting the standard for how you spend your money, how you save your money, how you give your money? How about in the decisions and the plans for the future that that you are in the midst of making? We're always making plans. How do we, what is the source that we use for that? Or in our relationships with others, how are we to conduct ourselves? How are we supposed to get along with one another? What is setting the standard? What is the standard for these very uh, three very important things. Well, first of all, we might say, well, it's financial planners. You know, we have financial planners or mentors that we can look up to and we can see how, how we should be spending our money and saving our money and investing our money. And, and, and we're thankful for these kind of people that do this. We have school counselors or, or life coaches and, and, and wise people we can go to for even direction in life, seeking wise counsel for decisions that we have to make, important decisions that, that we all make throughout our lives. We need people in our lives. And, and what about when it comes to, to even our relationships, when we get into a relationship mess, which is sure to come? Relation, how do we maneuver through this? Again, what is the standard? Who sets the standard? Where do we look to get help in these areas? And these three resources, these three things are some of the most important resources that we have. Our money, our time, and people. And yet we must just not go with the flow. We need to have a plan. And so what does God's word have to say about these things? Do we use God's word? Do we consider God's word? Do we pray about these decisions? Do we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Or do we just kind of, you know, go with our own human wisdom and kind of that gut intuition that we have, that feeling, and and we kind of go with it and we make our decisions and then we just kind of just pray some prayer to God. Now bless these plans, God. Is that the way that we go about handling these very important resources? You see, one day as believers in Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, you will stand before God. Each one of us will stand before God and we will give an account of how we lived our lives. This is a very sure reality. As sure as I'm standing here this morning proclaiming this to you, this is a sure reality. God's word tells us that one day we will stand before him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have one of these references, but this is just one of of a number of references we have in the Bible towards this kind of judgment that we will stand before God. And here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may give, may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be rewards, there will be blessings that will be given to us, and there will be things we will not receive from God on that day. And it will all be based on our faithfulness here on this earth. You see, just remember though that no one is saved on the basis of our good works. 
But every one of us who are, if we're truly saved, we will do good works. We will want to serve our God and do good because of his spirit that is at work in us, calling us, compelling us, and his word that we're wanting to obey encourages us and calls us to a life of obedience in this way. Now, we're not going to serve and we're not going to live for God perfectly. None of us can, but with humble and with gratitude in our hearts for all that God has done for us, we want to bless the Lord. We want to honor him in these areas, in all areas of our life. And so how can we ensure I need, as your pastor, as a pastor proclaiming the word of God, it is my responsibility to make sure, to ensure, give you the opportunity that that day will be a great day for you. And not a day where it's like, oh, I wish I would have known this. Or I wish I would have obeyed. I wish I would have done this. And today I want to challenge you, and over the next number of weeks, that we would prepare for that day as a great day and do what God's word calls us to do, to be obedient to his word in these areas. And so we want to take instruction from the word of God as we go through this series here today. And over the next few weeks, we are going to see what God's word has to say about our our time, about our money, and our relationships with people. And it is my prayer, it is my desire, and I know that it is your heart and your desire for many of you that we be united in this, that we be all together. And last Sunday, we started this series called All Together. And, 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 and last week, as, as we even talked about how it is our desire, not just our desire, it's God's desire that we would be in unity together as the body of Christ in a passionate pursuit of Christ. And, and, and a passionate pursuit for Christ is a response to the great love that he's already demonstrated to us. And when we passionately pursue Christ, uh, all in kind of way in our life, that he is first and foremost, folks, we can, you can just watch out because God will use you in ways that you could never ask or imagine or even think about. And may we be in that pursuit. You can listen to last week's message on that. But for the weeks, of he- weeks ahead, we're going to be settling in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And, and this is where we are going to find some really important instructions on how to handle our money, how to handle our plans for the future, as well as our relationships with others. Now, just to give some background to help you kind of understand the context of what we're talking about here this morning. Paul the Apostle wrote 1 Corinthians to address some serious problems that were within the life of the church. And so you can see in this map here uh, that that we uh, have here this morning, you can see where the city of Corinth is. He's writing to Corinth and and, and to a church, to a group of people there. And um, this was a church that he had planted some years earlier on his second missionary journey. But now Paul was writing this letter from Ephesus. Watch it change. There, see, see that? Go back to there. You see that? That's pretty cool technology that Vicky did. Go back to Vicky. Back, go back to the other one. Corinth. Ephesus. Cool, isn't it? Yeah, I could be pointing that to you, but he did that through his wonderful tech, technical abilities. Anyway, so, so he's writing from Ephesus because a report has come to him that this church in Corinth 
is rather messed up. This church is experiencing some real problems. And they weren't doing very well in, in, in these areas that we've already mentioned, as well as many other areas. This was, I'm telling you, this was one messed up church. I mean, Jerry Springer could have just brought church member after church member onto his show and interview them about what was going on. Not just in the city of Corinth, as it was a very evil center for sin, but in the church itself. There was a lack of unity in the church. There were factions in the church. In, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, you see people fighting and, and they're saying, well, I follow Paul. Well, I follow Paulus. Well, I follow Peter. And, 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 and Paul is like, quit that. Like, smarten up, you kids. Like, it's about following Christ. He's the foundation. It, it's not about following my way or my teaching or, or that. It is what Christ has done. He is the sure and the steady foundation. And, and, and then there was, I mean, there was other things going on. They were taking, the Christians within the church were suing one another. They were taking each other to court. There was sexual immorality that was rampant, as you'll hear in a few moments, in that city. But it was even in the life of the church. There was sexual immorality and no one was even blinking about it. They were, they were just fine. They were just, you know, just okay, well. And, and it, was, it was very immoral immorality that was going on. Someone had his stepmother and, and, and was having, uh, uh, having an affair with her or uh, was committing adultery with her. And, 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 and they didn't even seem phased by it. People in that church were using their spiritual gifts in a way that was self-serving and self-glorifying rather than using the spiritual gifts that God had given them to build up the body of Christ. Their worship services were turning into just like a train wreck, a free-for-all. And so Paul gives instructions about spiritual gifts and how we're to use them and, and, and about worship services being decent and in order. And he gives these kind of instructions. And so he, he gives this teaching throughout the letter to correct some of the things that were going on. There were also other things that were going on. There were people abusing the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11. We, we see they were turning it into a party. Some were eating lots. Some were, were actually even drinking way too much of the Lord's, uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper and others were going without. And then you come to chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and it is amazing. It is the Mount Everest of verses in that book. He is correcting a false teaching where false teachers were saying that the resurrection had never taken place and Paul says, oh yes it did. And he goes on and talks about the glory and the power and what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for us today. Great verse, Mount Everest verse. And then we get to chapter 16 where we'll be looking at for the next number of weeks. And if you look at it, it's really just kind of a lot of closing kind of, um, the last chapter is kind of like, you know, from, from the high point of the chapter before that. And, and now he's getting ready to sign off, close the letter. But here's the amazing thing about God's word. And I hope that you see this, folks, that, that from the word of God, right in, in the very end, and, and you think, well, these are the closing remarks and he's giving some final words, not that important. But we see from, from 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, it says, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness. And so 1 Corinthians 16 is a great chapter for that. And, and, and God's word is, in, in many ways, I was thinking about this this morning, it's very much like a puzzle. Any of you like doing puzzles? We already bought one for Christmas. At Christmas, we usually pull out a table and we bring out some puzzles. And, 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 and there was one at Costco that was there. And was like, oh, we have to get that puzzle because, um, yeah, anyways, long story. Just told that, that we bought a puzzle. And, and a puzzle, you have pieces all over the place. But every piece has its part to contribute to the grand picture that you're trying to, trying to, to bring forth as you work on that. And it takes time and it takes work to, 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 to get it to fit together. But when it does, it's amazing. That's the way God's word is. We have chapters. 
chapters, we have verses, we have books, we have it written over a long period of time. We have different authors, different continents, different places of writing, and yet it comes together as this puzzle that is just a beautiful masterpiece of God's word for us. And, and 1 Corinthians 16 is that in and of, of itself. And, and so we'll be looking at that in just a moment as, as we spend some time, as I said, over the next few weeks, as, as, as Paul gives just some priceless insights and teaching and truths on how we are to handle our money, how we are to make plans for the future. Believe it or not, we just don't come up with our own plan and then just, okay, God, just sprinkle some God dust on it and, and bless my plans. No, that's not how we go about making plans for the future. And also how we are to live in this world in relationship with other people. Great instruction that we're going to see over the weeks ahead. And you see, Paul was addressing this letter to the Corinthian church, but this letter is for all of us. Now, if you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I told you to turn there. First of all, we're going to just look at, at verse 2 because this really sets it up as to who he's writing to. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So he's writing to Corinth, but he's also writing to us. He says, to all who call upon the name of the Lord. What were we doing here this morning? We are calling upon the name of the Lord. And this is a book. This is a letter that is also for us here. And when he says the church of God in Corinth, he wasn't addressing it to a building. So oftentimes we think of a church as a building. It's not. This here this morning is the church. The church is not a building. It is, and, and what he's referring to here, it is people. And, and, and the word literally means the called out ones. We have been called out by God. If you are a believer in Christ today, that you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and, and Savior, you've asked him to forgive you of your sins and you've repented and you're turning and you're living a, a life the best that you can in the power of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to the word of God and, and, and you're growing in this way, we see very clearly that you are called out one. You have been called out by God and we've been called out of the, the, the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And he goes on to say, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. What does that word sanctified mean? Set apart. We've been called out. We've been set apart. And he goes on to say, called to be saints. You say, well, I ain't no saint. And the person sitting next to you says, yeah, and you got that right. You certainly aren't no saint. And, and, and that person turns right back to you and says, neither are you. But you know what? God's word says, you are a saint. God looks at you as a saint. And, 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 and at times we may even feel that, no, I'm not worthy of that. I don't understand this. But God looks upon us as righteous. He looks upon us as holy because of the work of his son. And because of that, we are called out by God. We are saints who have been set apart for his glory, for his purposes. And so as the church, we are called out. And we are called to be holy. We are called to be different. And not a different, weird kind of different that sometimes gets mocked out on television shows or a popular cartoon, growing up cartoon that has been running through, um, the, through Hollywood for many, many years, that how they can make Christians look like uh, just very uh, different and, and, and very interesting kind of folks. Yet sadly, so oftentimes, that, that there is no distinction between us 
and the world. We can, can almost try to mirror our lives very much after the people in this world. And, and what was happening here in the Corinthian church can easily, and today is happening within the church of Jesus Christ. The church in Corinth was having little or no impact on the world after God had done great things in their lives. He had saved many of them from a, a terrible, from, from, from a life of sin, a life of being lost, and now they're found, and yet now we're seeing that they have no or little impact on the world because they were trying to be like the world. They weren't living out the truth that they were called to be different. They were saints. They were called to be holy. They were allowing the world and the culture to fashion it and to fashion their lives rather than the other way around. Yes, we are called to be in the world, but we don't share the values of the world. We don't share the priorities or the goals and the definitions of right and wrong that we see in our world. And folks, this is a time that I believe in, in so many ways, the church of Jesus Christ, we have to stand up. We have to be different. We are called to do so. We are to live a different life, a called out, set apart life. Pursuing God's standards, living out God's standards and his truths in all areas of, of our lives, in areas of business, in our finances, in our relationships, in our plans. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, he said, we are called to be salt and light. And salt has a preserving effect against the corruption, against the rot of this world. Back uh, this summer, my dad and I, we went out to our old family farm where I would spend a lot of our time in the summers. It was a farm that he grew up on. And, and, he would, and, and we were just talking about how they got along without electricity and, and how the meat would be salted. They would take and they would, would, would um, butcher a, a pig or, or um, other, have other meat and uh, how it would be salted. And, and, and it would protect it against the corruption and the rot that would happen. And, and, and that's what salt is. Jesus said, we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to have a preserving effect against the rot that is going on. He said we are to be a light in the darkness, not blend into the darkness, but we are to shine our lights for the glory and, and, and for the gospel. Now, Corinth, as I've already said, was very much like today. It's very much like Canada and even specifically the Okanagan in so many different ways. And we need to pay attention to this. Corinth was in modern day Greece. Um, it was a port city. Do, can you just put that map back up on there? And, 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 and uh, just you can even see that little dot. Yeah, go to the Corinth one. That's perfect. It actually had a port on either side of it. And you see the little inlet there. And, and ships would come. That was a four-mile stretch of land. And, and ships would come. And they would unload a ship and load the supplies on another ship. In the 1800s, they finally cut a canal through there. It's called the Corinth Canal. And uh, there's a canal through there so that ships can, can pass by uh, without having to go around or unload their supplies. And, and so it was a port city, meaning there was a lot of trade. There was a lot of commerce. It was a city filled with a lot of wealth. People knew how to make money and make good money there. It was a city of about 500,000 people at the time. They were known for their great art and architecture, including the famous Corinthian columns. And, and um, still even standing today, um, just showing just, just the great work and the artistry that they were able to do when, when uh, they, they built these. Every two years, they would ho host the Isthmian Games. It was second only to the Olympics. People loved this. They had a stadium that would seat 20,000 people, as well as other venues for other events. And, and they loved these kind of activities. They loved violent games. They loved the gladiator games. People, again, would fill arenas 
arenas and cheer as, as the fight to the death would take place in these gladiator games. In the city, it was filled with incredible sensuality, uh, partially because it was a port city and, and there's a lot of travelers and a lot of sailors, but also because it was also home of the great temple of Aphrodite uh, that had over 10,000 temple prostitutes, male and female prostitutes. And you could find whatever you would want in that city when it came to sexuality. Sexuality and sensuality and entertainment and materialism ruled the day. And I think you could almost say, you watch the evening news, you go out in and see our own culture in our world today, we would say it's very much like that today. And Paul had been with them for 18 months. He was there planting a church, preaching the gospel, training up leaders so that he could move on to another place. And there in that city, God did a great work. But now he's writing to them and he's concerned. He's very concerned for what's going on. You see, the church in Corinth was very similar to what can be happening in the church today in that it was conforming and being fashioned by the world, being fashioned by the world standards. And, and in so many ways, 1 Corinthians um, reminds us, and, and, and in, in chapter 6 actually, he reminds them of the life of sin that God had called them out of. And, 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 and he says there in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of, our, spirit of God. And folks, if we've truly received Christ, that has happened in our own lives. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been given eternal life, but we've also been sanctified. We've been set apart so that God could use us for his purposes, for his glory. We just don't have God in our back pocket or have him in our Bibles or, or have him somewhere in our life just, just, just to kind of bless our plans and to fall back onto when we're in trouble. He is our everyday, every moment God that wants to walk with us and, and, and wants us to be fashioned after his own son. And when we live our lives in this way, we bring glory and honor to him. Just this past week, we have heard the, the very devastating news that a 23-year-old nephew of mine living in Regina has cancer. At least it's, it's like a 99% sure thing that he has cancer. And they're just determining uh, exactly the type and, and the treatment for him. And so it's really kind of rocked our family and we're trusting that in and through this that God would be glorified, that, that God would work in a mighty way in relationships and in, ultimately in the life of, of this young man. And as I was texting my sister on Friday, she told me that upon receiving the news uh, that he uh, had this, he made the comment to his parents, he says, maybe God has someone in the cancer clinic that I'm to share Christ with. And then her next line was, what more could a mother ask for? To have a young man who, who wants God to be glorified in and through this. You see, the gospel changes every part of us in how we view and deal with sickness. That there is a strength and there's a power that is available to God that is not available to you until you receive him by faith. And what we're talking about here today will do absolutely no good. We can talk about it, but you won't experience it until you are in Christ. And when we are in Christ, then we experience the fullness of his riches, his peace and his presence in our time. Are there going to be difficult days ahead for him? You better believe there will be. Just even this morning... I was texting him and he's saying, it's a hard day. 
It's a hard day just trying to, to deal with all of this. And as they're together with the body of Christ that they worship with, we trust it will be a day of great encouragement and that God would be glorified. But the gospel changes how we deal with everything from sickness to our money to relationships to our plans. Our plans for the future helps us in overcoming our past. The, the gospel speaks into all of that. And here we see how in 1 Corinthians 16, as we're going to read here right away, we see how the gospel changes us in regards to our money, in regards to our wealth. We're to have a different view on wealth and money than the world. And if our view and our understanding and our quest for money is like that of the world, we need to repent of that because God has called us to be different. God has called us to, to a higher standard, to his standard. And, and so we're going to dig into this here in chapter 16, verse 1. And Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he, as he may prosper, so that there may be no collection when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredited a credit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Just so you know, at the end of this message, we won't be receiving another offering. Just so you know, just so you can just, you know, stop sweating if all of a sudden you're thinking, oh, that's where this is going. No, don't, don't desire that at all. Um, and, and for you to embrace what God's word has to say is my prayer and, and that God would set us free to be generous people that we would be all together in our generosity. And from this passage, we see some important instructions that we'll look at over the next few weeks here. Uh, we won't get it, um, to all of it this week. But it's all about being all together, united, one, one team, one understanding here when it comes to our generosity. And so first things first, encourage you to write this down, one point for today's message, first, first, first things first, give. This is the instruction from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write this. And he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to give. Now, the church in Jerusalem, they were receiving, they were collecting an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Again, do we have a map of that where you can um, even see... Um, where Jerusalem is. Do, do we have that? And um, do we have a little, little arrow, little dot there for Jerusalem, or do we not have that? No, we don't have that. But you'll see Jerusalem down on the far corner here. And so, so you'll see, again, Corinth is about the middle of the screen, Ephesus, Jerusalem. Well, just, again, show you that just to give you some context. Jerusalem was struggling, not only from persecution. The church there was going through a hard time. They were facing persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. As well, they were experiencing a, a very severe famine. And so Gentile churches from Galatia, and, 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 uh, which is in modern-day Turkey, as well as Derby and Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, and, and all these places where, that Paul had been planting churches, wanted to help out and send an offering to help. And so even the church in Corinth wanted to help out in, in assisting the church in Jerusalem. And, and in all of the churches that Paul planted, that he was a part of starting, he wanted them to all have an active part in the concern and the health and the well-being for the body of Christ. Whether it be locally, caring and being concerned for one another's as well as around the world. And folks, this is what I so appreciate about Harvest Bible Chapels. Right out of the gate, right when we started as a church, coming up to three years, we'll have our three-year party soon, beginning of October in a couple of weeks, 
right out of the gate, we were all, uh, all Harvest Bible chapels started out giving 5% of our offerings to Harvest Bible Fellowship. We give it to Harvest Bible Fellowship. It stays here in Canada to help start Harvest Bible chapels and, and to assist in the work of spreading the gospel here in Canada, as well as using it globally around the world. And so right out of the gate, we've been giving that amount of money to be able to do that. And even currently, there's some church planters in Quebec that are on the ground and starting to build a core group there, as well as, Lord willing, Harvest Calgary South will be launched uh, a little later on this fall. They still need some areas to pray. Follow them on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, and you'll get some great updates on, on what is the need there and what, how we can come alongside and pray and, and that. We as a church this year have taken an extra 2% now, um, and, 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 and taking 2% of our overall giving to be able to store that up, to be able to encourage the work of God locally as well as globally, and we want to help get the gospel out. We want to be partakers in helping other churches and, and helping one another, and even in the recent hurricanes that, that we have seen in the United States and the Caribbean, we've been providing you in our e-news. I hope you're reading your e-news. E Maybe we should have confession time. Who didn't read your e-news this week? No, we won't raise, have you raise your hand. But be reading that. We give you information and updates there and, and opportunities to support some of the Harvest Bible chapels that are going through there. Is it to pay their bills? No, it is to help assist people in those churches who may not have insurance or may have some, some financial issues that they can come alongside and help with food and other practical ways, as well as to go to their neighbors and say, here, people from my church and from the larger body of believers across North America are giving money and, and coming alongside and sharing that with others. We want to be people who share and help in these, these kind of things. And today, now this is pretty exciting. This is pretty cool. Andre and Nina Wessner from our church are today worshiping with Harvest Bible Chapel Houston. They're kind of on an extended holiday. They've been winding their way th um, throughout the United States. And um, in the middle of the week, Andre said, we're planning to be at Harvest Houston. Can you get me in touch with the pastor? And so the two have gotten together. And so they're worshiping at Harvest Houston this morning. And then they're going to be taking the next few days to just help out and look for opportunities where they can, can help in, in just some practical ways. And I said to Andre, I said, please be looking for some ways that that perhaps we as a church here can, can help in, in whether it's some monetary ways or even, you know, see if there would be opportunity for us to send some folks down there to, to help out and to encourage in the work there. And a part of me is just excited. I love seeing the body of Christ and us be connected in this kind of way. And so, 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 so it's important that, that we're giving generous people to help out in the work. This was the pattern of the New Testament church, that, that they wanted to help out in, in this kind of a way. But our giving and our generosity isn't just supposed to help those that are out there in crisis. It's also, and we see from this passage as well as we glean from other scripture passages uh, throughout the New Testament and through the entire, uh, throughout the all of God's word, that our giving and generosity is also support, is supposed to support the ongoing work locally of the church to, to help support the, the work that is going on here, the staff, the mission, the church that God is building here in Kelowna. And so that is why, first point here today, first things first, we are all to give. We're all to participate in this. Look at verse 2. It goes on, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. It says each of you. That means some of you? Or does it mean all of us? 
Each of you means all. Yeah, all of us were supposed to set something aside and store it up. We're all to be involved in the work of God here and around the world. Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust where, where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Financial giving is for all of us. It was, it was a great thing over May and June in between Mother's Day and Father's Day for us to participate in the Okanagan Pregnancy um, care center that they have and if you check the e-news we, we uh, found out uh, the results and how much was given to that and, and, and they were so encouraged and so blessed they said your church came that was the four, fourth highest in giving I'm not going to tell you what it is you can go and read the e-news and if you didn't get the e-news subscribe to it and we'll send you a copy of it and you can get the, the news that way and so encourage you to be encouraged by that we want to help out we want to be givers we want to be generous people and God's word is clear that even in seasons of poverty it are not to keep us from giving. We're to continue to keep giving to God's work. It may not be much, but we're to continue to keep on giving. And we see this example. We see what Jesus is, speaks of here in Luke chapter 21 near the end of, of Jesus' ministry here on earth. He's observing the rich coming in and laying out this, this glorious offering, dropping some big time coins into the offering um, buckets that they had there. And then there was a widow who came along and she just dropped in a few pennies, a few mites. And Jesus said, this woman outgave us all. She outgave everyone. She was the most generous. You see, it's not how much that we give. It's our heart. It's our heart in sacrifice. And a lot of times when we don't give, it shows that there is a heart problem. And folks, I, I want to be very clear. This isn't about raising money. When we preach on money, on giving, this isn't about raising money for the church and, and, and building up our coffers, so to speak. This is about growing disciples. This is about being faithful to God. Understand this, God is not broke. He's not running a deficit like our countries are. God could easily fund his work. Dramatically, easily, supernaturally. He created all things. He's in all things. He can do all things. He has need of nothing. He could make diamonds fall from the sky if he wanted. He could make gold flakes come down from heaven to be able to deliver and fall over missionaries' houses and, 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 and fall on, on churches to, to allow them the financial resources in order to, to continue on. And honestly, that would probably be a lot easier. So why is he chosen your giving and my giving and even the widow's might as we see in Luke chapter 21. Why does, why does he choose these things, choose us to help in this way? Well, it's because giving looses our hands on what we hold so dear. We hold on so tightly to things that we just can't let go. Many of you have heard the illustration before and, and, uh, and yet it sticks in my mind because maybe it's a picture of my own heart oftentimes. A family was visiting some friends and all of a sudden a young child came into the room and they had a vase 
Uh, the child had their hand in a vase, and, and here the child had stuck their hand in the vase and, and couldn't get his hand out. And so he, a great fanfare was going on, and, and they didn't know what to do. And finally, the homeowner said, just smash the vase. The kid, for whatever reason, got his hand in, couldn't get it out. And they smashed the vase, and when the kid got his hand free, he opened it up, and here he was clutching some coins. And here, because he had dropped the coins in there and he wanted to get them, and as he's pulling it out, his hand wouldn't fit. It went fine going in, but he wasn't going to let go of those coins. No way. And so oftentimes that can be our heart when it comes to our finances and to our own resources. We clutch it and we hold on to it. And Jesus said, we cannot serve two masters. Either we're going to serve God or we're going to serve money and who is the master. And giving releases our hands and it is a generosity that we give and it releases ourselves to God. First things first, we are to give. When we give to God, we, we, we give away some of our selfishness, our own self-reliance, our self-centeredness, our hoarding. And, and we trust, we put, causes us to put our faith and our trust in the promises of God that he will provide and this is what we refer to and what we refer to as sacrificial giving. Do we actually believe God will take care of us or do I have to provide for myself? Do I believe God will provide for my family? Well, then first things first, we honor God in this command that we see throughout Scripture. And this is why Jesus even said more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Because he knows that it's going to be money that's going to keep people from heaven and hell. Or, or cause people from, from going to heaven and going to hell because it is too much of a master in our lives. Do we believe God will take care of us? And when I give, it's a way that it also plants a little more of heaven in my heart. It reminds us that we are part of something much bigger as we give to the Lord's work. And one day when we get to heaven, I believe we're going to have a fuller grasp of what God has done and, in his, and is doing currently through our giving. And we'll marvel at his goodness. And I know for many of us, we will say, oh, I wish I would have done more. I wish I wouldn't have been so stingy. I wish I would have given. I would, look at what God did with that little gift that I gave or that little sacrifice. Or maybe it was a major sacrifice and we're blown away by it. And we'll only wish that we would have done more. I think of how three years ago, this last week, September 11th, Tom and Pam arrived in Kelowna pulling this trailer full of goods from Ontario. They pulled it across Canada. It was a gift from our sending church, Harvest Oakville. Tens of thousands of dollars were given in a Christmas offering by people we don't even know. Many people, we have no clue who they are. And they gave joyfully. They gave over and above their regular giving. They gave sacrificially to help Give resources to, to help with the work out in the Wild West. And I am sure that, that for so many of the people there in Oakville and in the churches that were a part of that uh, help for us, every time they hear a report from Kelowna, when, when an elder, one of our elders are visiting here from Oakville today, when he goes back and gives a report of what God is doing here. Every time they see something on social media, when they hear that there's been more baptisms, I'm sure there is a joy that they gave to be, and, and, and were thrilled to be able to be a part of participating in the work. 
And it's not just, as I said, about building churches. It's eternity. It's the lives of people for eternity. And when we look around, even today, and you see that someone has helped to pay the rent here, um, that many of you have been a part of that. We pay for the rent here at our church offices, the paper. Um, we ran out of connection cards today, and some people ran, and we had a paper and a photocopier to be able to photocopy those cheap versions of connection cards for you today. Uh, we had resources to do that. We have pens. We have papers. We have money to be able to buy curriculum for our children so that they can hear the gospel and, and teachers have resources to be able to teach the word of God to our children and, and, and the videos to be able to, to help with that and the crafts to be able to, for them to be able to do and t-shirts for them to wear. And I, I just think of all the ongoing little tweaks and different things that, that, that men and women continue to contribute and be a part of to, to, to be part of a portal, portable church in this way. I think of those who have given money as, as you've given faithfully over the last three years to, to buy software equipment so that we can have graphics beside us and, or above us and computers and, 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 and finances for our salaries. All of this, it's an expression of our love. It's an expression of worship and, and, and thankful for, for this because people in this city are being changed and are being touched for the glory of God. And he uses our generosity in this way as we, as we work together. You say, well, I can't give much. doesn't matter. It's your heart. First things first, we are all to give. And perhaps you are here and you've given faithfully to the Lord's work for years, maybe for decades. And, you, and, and if tallied up, it would be into the tens, maybe even some of you, the hundreds of thousands of dollars that you've given to the Lord's work. Yet, that's not to pat yourself on the back. It is to say, oh God, what more can I do? Our giving isn't simply just a cut and dry goal that we are to do. It's a sacrificial act of worship. Our God has been so free and so generous and continues to be so generous to us in his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his presence in our lives. Even at times when we mess up and we're unfaithful and he is there and he is with us and is an expression of our worship and our thanksgiving to God, we give back to him and we give with joy. We'll get into that a little bit more next week. But our worship is to be a sacrifice of worship. That's why we often, we try to say, uh, we're not going to take an offering. We don't want to take your money. We want to receive an offering. We want to receive what you want to give to the Lord's work here and around this world as an act of worship. And as we continue to grow in our love and our trust and our faith in God and our dependency upon him, I trust that this will be a season in your life that you will take steps of faith and obedience Every one of you, whether you give faithfully already and, and, and give sacrificially, that God may call you to some heroic giving in, in some areas in your life. And the Holy Spirit will guide you in that. But so oftentimes, folks, the passionate pursuit that we have for Christ that we talked about last week, we can easily be snuffed out, get strangled out by our lack of freedom in this area of our finances. Materialism, our money, our stuff, can have such a chokehold on us and it keeps us from experiencing the fullness of the life that God offers. The Bible tells us that we will reap what we sow. If we sow disobedience, stinginess, materialism, we're going to reap disobedience. You can't sow disobedience in your life and somehow end up with obedience. Not going to happen. Same with stinginess. You're not going to all of a sudden be stingy all your life and all of a sudden re reap the rewards of generosity. But when we sow obedience and generosity and sacrifice, the blessing of God rests upon us in ways that we can't understand. 
in the ways that we can't fathom that we can be a part of the work that God calls us to be a part of. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we have looked at these truths here so far from your word, and even we see next week you give some other just practical instruction on how we can all participate in a way that we can be all together. And whether that's here at Harvest Kelowna or churches of Jesus Christ throughout the entire world. And God, it's not about money. It's about our hearts, our, being, our hearts being satisfied first and foremost with you. And I pray that that would be true in each one of us. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to repent where we have doubted or ignored these truths and we've hoarded and we've been selfish. Lord, we admit that so easily that we can allow the world's thinking and the world's philosophies to fashion our thinking and our practice in this area. And God, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to be like the Corinthian church. We want to be people who are fashioning our lives, the precious resources that you've entrusted, our relationships, our plans, and our resources that you've given to us. We want to use those in a way that would bring you honor and glory and where we get out of the way and allow you to do a great and a mighty work. Give us faith, I pray, in your word, in the promises of God that you have for us in your word of how you will be faithful and you are faithful and you will bless and you will take care of our every need, whether that's financial, whether that's for health and for strength and for your peace and your presence, even as we walk through the dark days of life, that you are there with us. And Lord, the whole reason behind this is that we know that, even as your word says, for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich for our sakes became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. What an amazing truth. What an amazing grace that we can experience from you that the God of this heaven gave his one and only son and he became poor, dirt poor, so poor that he hung on a cross. There was... All the sin of this world was hurled upon him. And he gave himself willingly as a sacrifice. And the joy and the blessing that is on the other side of that, commi- of that commitment and that willingness that Jesus did for us, we are eternally thankful. And as you call us in areas of obedience and sacrifice in our own lives, oh God, I pray that we would see one day and even in sooner days than that, the blessing that comes from being obedient to your word in these areas. Give us the strength and the faith and the confidence to follow and obey you in these areas, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship our Lord.